Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Saints FC podcast. Um, You may notice if you're watching on the YouTube channel that Tom has morphed into a different human being. Um, Sat next to me today I have uh, James White who those of you listened to the rather drunken episode that we had at the end of last season uh, which we recorded in the pub uh, during the Saints versus Swansea game you might recognize his voice. Welcome on to the show James. Thank you very much, John. Uh, pleasure to be here, even all. Um, so yeah, looking forward to my very first podcast. Um, James, I'm just going to do a, a little bit of my kind of um, standard welcome stuff. Say, so, I mean, obviously, if you want to get in contact with the Saints FC podcast, um, one of the easiest ways to do that is Twitter. We're at Saints FC podcast, or you can email us saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can also put comments in the YouTube channel on the ugly inside. Uh, rate us on iTunes, you know, whatever you want to do, tell a friend, tweet about it. Um, anyway, we're going to be going through some of your emails, tweets and comments a little bit later on. So if you have communicated with us in the last couple of weeks, hold on, so you might hear us and our thoughts on what you've had to say. Um, but first thing, kind of like welcoming James to the podcast. James, I'm really keen to know, why is it that you support Southampton? Uh, well, I'm born and bred in Winchester. Um, went to my first game when I was hooked immediately. I think it was 1990, It wasn't a great game. I think it was against Wimbledon, last game of the season. Uh, but I get to go on a pitch. And then from then, I was pretty much hooked uh, from then. So, um, obviously, there's been lots of ups and downs over the years. I supported Saints those five years, but um, still to this day. But um, I can't think of a better team to support, to be honest. So I wonder if um, you can take us through some of those those moments that you might remember if you can like think back all the way to the was it the early nineteen nineties, yeah. So think back to the early nineteen nineties and um, tell us about what the experience is of going to watch Saints for the first time. We, we had a couple of um, uh, guests who got to experience their first Saints um, game last season. People who travelled over from America. So I'd be keen to hear you know what what's your kind of like misty childhood memory of the day. I'd imagine it's a lot different to what it is today. Uh, there's no fun fairs or ice creams or anything like that. Um, but it was just the, the sense of everybody walking to the ground in the same direction, everybody talking about the game, um, going to the Milton Road, and which is my first game. But I couldn't see, so it sounded like a milk box and things like that. So, um, and just the atmosphere. Um, it's a bit more raw, I think, back in those days, because uh, you could stand up, obviously. Um, but it was just the excitement of a child um, seeing everybody excited when they go and you know that feeling and it's that feeling still there today um, and hopefully that's the same for people going to games for the first time in this day and age in the Premier League 
Who, who knows? I mean, do you remember? The, do you remember, were there any goals in that game? Can you remember what happened or what the, what that was like? You're shaking your head. So, I, I <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll uh, we'll leave we'll leave that bit out then. I think, and uh, we'll we'll move straight on to Sunday's game. So, had the first game of the season against Burnley. Um, if you're a Saints fan and you're listening to this and you somehow haven't checked out the result, that was nil nil. Um, Nil no at home to Burnley. I think that's a result which probably won't necessarily surprise people. Some people might be a bit disappointed with it. Some people a bit less. So. I mean, Saints traditionally don't start the season particularly well. But how did you think Saints did in you know the opening parts of that game, James? Uh, I thought we started very slowly. Um, I think the players look a little bit nervous. I think he's alluded to it in his interview afterwards saying there might still be a little bit of a hangover from last season, uh, a little bit of anxiety as well, which I think you could clearly see in the first definitely 20 minutes. I think Burnley controlled the game for large parts of the first half. Um, I'm not sure if that was down to the formation or it was just the players, like I said, having a bit of anxiety within the new season. I think Burnley looked a little bit sharper than us, obviously with the Europa League games they've had. Um, but we looked a lot like the the worst parts of last season in the first half and it didn't look we've improved or changed but obviously that changed in the second half so I mean I've had quite a lot of people complaining about the way we set up so um, you know perhaps being at home to Burnley you wouldn't expect us to set up with you know three centre backs um, you know perhaps that's a formation you might expect us if we're playing slightly stronger opposition Um and it was funny in the first half, I don't think we used the formation to it to its strength. So one of the things which I noticed is quite often when we'd be pushing forward, uh, Cedric would be in acres of space on the right-hand side of the pitch. But we didn't seem to have the kind of player with the vision to actually take advantage of that and, you know, knock a kind of 40-yard uh, cross ball pass and you know, suddenly open up the, the game and give Cedric a chance, you know, to get across in whilst the players kind of rush on. And it... It just looked like it kind of didn't quite work. And I, I don't know what you thought about Cedric and Bertrand, but obviously when you have like five at the back, you're relying on your wing backs to be pushing forward and being a, a creative outlet and, and joining the attacks and, and using that as your way to kind of, I suppose, be dangerous or cause the opposition damage. I personally that the main problem in the first half, is, which has happened probably the last two seasons since Koeman left, is we're not moving the ball quick enough. Um, we're not passing it forward quick enough and it allows the defence to get back into shape and like you said the width was there but we're not moving the ball quick enough to use that width and by the time they've noticed Birch and Cedric in acres of space the opposition have closed down that space um, I think that's been a problem the last two years we're not moving it quick enough and there's not really anybody who can bring the ball through midfield with a bit of pace which I've noticed and when you, when you do play too hard in midfield it's hard for that to happen and it, which also happens we don't have many people arriving in a box which hopefully Armstrong will, will do um, but that's been my main criticism the last two seasons is not passing the ball quick enough lack of pace and people arriving in the box Yeah I, I totally agree on the two holding midfielders seemed quite strange and, and it did look like we lacked that kind of creative outlet in, in that part of the pitch and um, I thought one of the things I was discussing with my brother is perhaps one of the problems why we have two players in that kind of position with Romeo and Lamina is because Victor Wanyama was such a beast that he could kind of do that role that those two players do on his own. And Lamina is an interesting player because he can be quite exciting going forwards and he, he takes the ball around players quite well. He's very strong. Um, 
but it's, I suppose it doesn't have that kind of that more kind of visionary, um, you know, that kind of like visionary style that you might expect from a kind of deep lying central midfielder. I mean, Saints were rumoured to be looking at Danny Drinkwater, and you know perhaps that would have been a better kind of deep lying midfielder to have in that position because he could potentially have Romeo breaking up the play, giving it to Drinkwater, Drinkwater then distributing, and then perhaps we would actually be able to make better use of Cedric or Bertrand. Um, it didn't quite work. Um, and I suppose the other thing as well, which I've been a little bit surprised of, and I think this could well be a confidence thing, is uh, Wesley Hoot. When I first saw him play in the, the game away to Palace last season, he was pinging beautiful kind of like 60-foot balls across uh, Selhurst Park. And I think, you know, he, he's quite nervous now. I don't think he's he's got the confidence to try that sort of thing, which he did when he first joined Saints. No, I completely agree. I was at the Palace game as well, and I thought him and Lamine on that day were... There. Absolutely outstanding, but we've not seen that from him since then. Uh, he looks like Bambi and Ice at times. He looks like he's got two left feet. Um, yeah, I think it's clearly a confidence issue as well. Um, I'm not sure even three at the backs helped him that much. He looked actually more confident yesterday when it was two at the back. Four that four across, I think he looks much better actually. Um, but I think you're right, it's definitely a confidence issue. And also, we're not, I know Van Dyke's a special player, but when we had Van Dyke, he would spray those passes out of defence very quickly, so he put us on the front foot. We haven't got that in a moment. Um, I did notice Vestergaard bring the ball out a few times yesterday into midfield, which is what we need because we've been so pedestrian at times, um, which I've alluded to already. But um, yeah, hopefully Hoyt's confidence with that clean sheet as well because we didn't keep many clean sheets last season. So hopefully that will bring the confidence for the whole of the back. Yeah, I, I hope so. And then I've got to be honest, I was actually quite surprised when I saw you know Wesley Hoot, Jack Stevens were both kind of starting in the centre of defence. I would have half expecting it to be Vestergaard, Bednarek and Yoshida. Uh, and Bednarek and Yoshida, I suppose, purely based on, well, Bednarek at the end of last season and then his uh, performances at the World Cup were brilliant. Yoshida looked like he actually learned quite a lot in the World Cup and stepped up almost to a, a level kind of that he's only shown on, on very kind of brief moments in, in Southampton. So, I mean, I don't know... D- were you surprised at all with the formation and, and the lineup or, or the personnel that was in it when the lineup was announced? Uh, I wasn't surprised by the formation because he's been going with that towards the latter part of last season, all pre-season, so he hasn't really mixed that up that much. Um, people that know me know that I'm probably his biggest critic um, over the last four or five years. Um, but I thought he had a great World Cup and he, he has learned a lot, I'd say, the last two years. And he has cut out those mistakes that he used to make quite often. So I was surprised that he wasn't even on the bench. Um, I'm still... Jewel said that for me for Pednarak. I'm not really sure. I think he has got a mistake in him. I do like Stephen. I think he's come on a lot the last year. Um, but... I probably would have thought Yoshida would have started yesterday. Yeah, and he, he wasn't even on the bench. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a little bit of a hangover from the World Cup. Maybe he's not quite match ready. Um, but, you know, we saw across the whole Premier League, lots and lots of players that played in the World Cup right to the kind of final um, weekend. Uh, lots of them doing quite well. Some of them not doing so well. So, I mean, who knows? So, <clears throat> obviously, the coaching staff know a lot more than us. And, and perhaps, you know, that's why the, the decisions were being made. I mean, from the first half, and I probably kind of quite want to quickly move on from the first half because it wasn't the most uh, beautiful stuff. I say. So were, were there any players that kind of caught your eye that you thought, 
actually they're they're looking pretty good they're looking pretty lively um yeah do, let, let, let's hear your thoughts on who, who kind of stood out for you in the first half um <laughs> Alex McCarthy obviously because he made a few really good saves in that first half and he actually kept us in it to be honest in the first half Armstrong I thought made some really good runs very positive going forward um put some good challenges and he was pressing uh, pretty well which a lot of the team wasn't doing um so the two outstanding for the first half is definitely McCarthy and Armstrong and it's a shame that Armstrong had to go off in the second half I thought Right, let's let's move on to the second half then, because I, I, I was going to say the only two people I was going to pick out were Armstrong and um, McCarthy. So you know, that's it's not going to add too much to the conversation if I just repeat what you've said. So the second half started, and um, you know we, we started better in the second half, but really I thought the turning point for Saints was actually Armstrong, who'd been the best player for Saints up until that point. You know, maybe with the exception of McCarthy got injured and you might have thought at this point oh no what are we going to do but Mark Hughes really I suppose kind of took the ball by the horns he made a double substitution he totally changed the style of of Saints play so he took Armstrong off who was injured took off Cedric as well and um, suddenly Saints looked a lot better I mean what did you make of his changes? Uh, it's very positive because I think the last two seasons we've been used to changes being made far too late. Uh, I think it was after 55 minutes he made that double substitution. Uh, but immediately, I think the crowd had a big lift when things came on as well. I think obviously a home, home boy coming back, everybody excited to see him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think he he wanted the ball, which is a bit different. So he came deep, he got the ball, he made things happen. And his movement's very, very good. Um, just brought a different dimension to the game and Redmond became more involved in the game as well I think he was pretty poor in the first half um, so I think he, his confidence came up as well and the changes gave us I think just gave the whole stadium a lift um, we were pressing more in different positions um, I'm not sure if Burnley maybe tired a little bit towards the end because they've had quite a lot of football recently but um, I think it's more to do with, with Saints changing the style of play formation um, and a bit more desire and, and a lot more forward creative players on the pitch. So I, I'm going to talk about a couple of our players who have been with Saints for a, a little while now. So Nathan Redmond um, and Charlie Austin, who I thought both kind of looked okay up until the point when the substitution came on. Came on, And then when Danny Ings came on, I thought Charlie, Charlie Austin suddenly looked like he was putting in a little bit more effort. And when Elianusi came on, Redmond suddenly looked you know, like a little bit of the kind of shackles had come off him. He suddenly was a bit more creative. He was taking on players. Um, and by the end of the game, I was kind of ready to give Redmond man of the match, which, you know, up until that point, you, you would have said, well, there were a few flashes, but ultimately he'd been the kind of frustrated player that we saw last season. Is, it, is that just because it's competition? Because, I mean, Ings is quite a similar player to Charlie Austin. And Elianusi and Redmond, I mean, they're both attacking creative forwards. Was that the reason why suddenly they both improved when, when they came on? Um, or was it just the fact that, you know, a bit of the workload was being shared and therefore they felt slightly less pressure? Uh, I think it's a bit of the workload being shared because Austin up front his own against two big centre-backs. Um, is not going to work. He's never going to win in the air. He's never really going to run beyond them either. He hasn't got the pace to do that. Uh, so Austin's brilliant in the box, but he's not going to do a lot outside the box. Um, so I think Ings coming deep, um, as well as being a goal scorer, I thought he sort of put a few decent balls in there for Austin and, and other players in the box. 
Uh, Redmond, he's a very frustrating player for me because you can see potential in him. Um, he just seems a little bit reluctant to take people on sometimes. He goes backwards when he's clearly got the pace to do so. Um, and he did show that in the second half. First half, he was a completely different player. So I think it's a confidence thing with him as well. Uh, he just, I think he's a bit like... Walcott used to be. He just doesn't need to think. If he doesn't think, I think he's a relatively good player. But it's when he's when he starts to think about things, um, his decision making is very poor. So uh, I've got an interesting um, stat, and I have to thank my brother for pointing this one out to me because um, quite a lot of people are quite excited about seeing Ings and Austin linking up together because they obviously played together as strikers at Burnley. Now, when they're playing together at Burnley. Um, Charlie Austin had you know, two full seasons there, managed to get 17 goals um, in 2011-12 and then 28 goals from 40 appearances in 12-13, which is obviously you know, absolutely fantastic record. And my God, wouldn't it be great if we got somewhere close to that? Danny Ings, um, he had a uh, couple of seasons with Burnley alongside Charlie Austin, where he got three goals in each season. The first season, he played 15 games. Second season, he played 33, which obviously is not a great return. But actually, when Austin left, he then scored 26 goals for for Burnley in the following season. So is there a bit of a concern that these two players are a bit too similar? Or is that actually quite a good thing? Because, you know, Charlie Austin is probably the better finisher of the two. And actually having someone like Ings means that when Charlie Austin does get injured, you can throw him into the into a, into the team without there really being too much adaptation from the rest of the squad. I think um, the main difference between the two is Ings' movement is a lot better than, or he's more mobile than Austin. Um, we can see that on Saturday, on Sunday, sorry, he was, he was across the line, left, right in the centre and coming deep for the ball. Austin doesn't really do that. Um, so I, could th- I think I had to see a lot of him in the championship when he was at Berlin in his heyday um, and obviously been injured for quite a lot of the last two seasons. But his movement has definitely improved. I'm not sure if that's been down to Klopp, I don't know. But he does. He looks, he wants the ball more than he used to, I think. And I think he's, he's got quite a big personality. And I think wanting the ball and demanding the ball is going to help us um, in the future because we, a lot of our players sometimes do go into their shell when the times are, times are hard. So... Um, are they, whilst they are very similar, I think I also think that Ings is a little bit different in terms of he will work the channels uh, and he will come deeper. And I think he'll have a lot more assists than... I'm interested to see what the assist stats would be. Uh, you probably haven't got those, but for, for Ings over those seasons, because I bet he's had a lot of assists over his career um, rather than a, you know, a great goal record like Charlie Austin's got. Yeah, I think they're interesting points. I mean... On, on your point about Ings being more mobile than Charlie Austin, I think like there's a, a lot of people that are a bit more mobile than Charlie Austin. And to be honest, I, I was a bit surprised about how immobile he looks. I mean, perhaps I shouldn't be that that surprised because, you know, even at the end of last season, he was really flagging kind of once he got beyond 60 minutes. But you'd have thought maybe with a, a, a pre-season, he could have worked, you know, on his condition a little bit more. Um it, it still astonishes me that you can be you know, that talented that it doesn't really matter that even though you're being paid a fortune to be a professional athlete, you don't have to look after you, yourself in perhaps like the same way that most professional athletes do. Um, and, and on that point, actually, so, I mean, I thought Redmond looked a lot better in the second half and I think he looked a bit sharper. Apparently he spent his summer before pre-season on kind of a fitness training camp. So, um, I mean... It, 
Did, did you hear about that? Do you think it's made a difference for Redmond? Uh, not on the first half showing, no. Um, the second half, like I said, he was a lot better. Um, I think it's all in his mind rather than the fitness thing, to be honest. To be honest, I suppose that, that could be quite welcome, you know, if Redmond's got, got his mind sorted out, because uh, I do think the kind of confidence side of things can can be quite problematic. Um so I don't know if there are any kind of particular chances or opportunities or, or moments of play that you thought kind of looked quite positive and that Saints could kind of be quite hopeful for in the future. I mean, we didn't get a goal, which was quite frustrating. Um, we saw Joe Hart make some saves, which was you know surprising and also annoying. But is there anything that you thought maybe we could pick out and say, actually, that could be really effective in, in the rest of the season going forward? Uh, I thought Elanisi was very direct as well um, when he came on. So I'd like to see him start you know, for the next few games. Um, I probably would have him over Redmond in the starting eleven. Um, I think he, if you've seen him in the Champions League uh, for Basel, he was very good, very direct, especially against Man City. Um, and he has got, from what I've seen, he actually has got an end, end product, which Redmond hasn't. Um, so with Tadic not being anymore, we need somebody like that. Um, I think Armstrong brings that as well. Um, but I think that we need to be more direct and we need a bit more pace in the side to, to have that. But in terms of yesterday's chances, a lot of them came from corners from Elanusi's delivery. Um, a lot of the balls in the box from Ings. Um, and Stevens got down the right quite well towards the latter part of the game. Uh, he almost scored himself. Um, but it was just more pressure and there's more people in the box. I think that's what created the chances we had yesterday. There wasn't many clear cut chances, I don't think. I mean, probably the best one was, I think I think it was Ben Me. I think was ahead of the towards the goal, which they cleared off the line. Uh, and Stevens was the only other clear cut chance, I'd say. Um, but we didn't create a huge amount. It's more down to pressure uh, and bodies in the box, I think, from yesterday. I mean, that's an interesting point you brought up Stevens there because I mean, he, he came into right back and perhaps you would have thought when Hughes made that double substitution, he would actually take off one of the, the centre-backs and leave Cedric on there, who's obviously a bit more experienced at playing right back. I mean, he did quite well, but his crossing isn't anywhere near as good as Cedric's. But you're right, he, he did get himself into a couple of dangerous positions at, at the end. And I think his confidence grew as the second half wore on. He got much more into... I suppose that right back, right wing back sort of position. Um, you know, interesting you're mentioning that our chances came from corners and Anunusi's delivery. I mean, could there be an argument that actually James Will Prowse might be an answer to Southampton's right back, right wing back kind of question? I mean, Cedric wasn't great. I know he can be better, but he can also be quite suspect. If if we are going to play the three five two a little bit more. Do you think James Will-Prowse might, might, we might finally find a regular position for him um, after all these years? Um, I did mention that to a couple of my friends, actually, if I said it wasn't going to be fit for the opening game, uh, to put Will-Prowse there, because I don't think a left footer as a right wing back is the answer. I know Target had a good game, a good half in that preseason friendly, but it was only a friendly. Um, James Will-Prowse is a very frustrating player. He hasn't got any pace at all. Uh, I'm not sure his defensive duties are that good either, but there's no doubting his delivery. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I think the reason Cedric was got taken off yesterday is because he's had no, no pre-season at all. Um, I think wing-back's probably the better position for Cedric because his defensive responsibilities sometimes can be a bit suspect due to his height, I think, more than anything. Um, I think he's very good going forward. Um 
I'm not sure James Will Prowse is the answer to a right wing back, though. Fair enough. Um, Say, so obviously, based on yesterday, uh, what's what's our best formation? Well, if you've gone yesterday's evidence, I mean, it was it was clearly when he, he changed it um, to the four four two. But that's not to say it's going to work in every game. Um, it was quite negative in the first half, but I'm not sure that's necessarily in the formation. I just think I think the players were a little bit on edge, as I mentioned already, because three five two worked on the Kumin very well. Um, but it's good to have the options. You know, we play different teams. Different teams have different tactics. So um, one of the criticisms I've had the last few seasons, we've not changed that. When we've been uh, um, struggling to break down teams, we've not changed the formation. We've sticked to it and just changed the personnel, which sometimes doesn't work. Um, so 3-5-2 um, probably would have worked better away from home and if you can get them on the counter. Um, but, you know, when we were very successful, we were playing the 4-3-3, um, which isn't actually my favourite formation. So, um, whether we've got a personnel to do it now, I don't know. Um, but four for three probably would be my preferred choice, and I think we, I think we have got a place to do that. But the three five two at the moment is a very sexy choice, isn't it? Because if everybody's doing it, so um, it seems that that's what he wants to do. But he may change his mind after the second half showing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I actually think that's probably the the best thing that we can say about Mark Hughes after the first game of the season was his willingness to change things when when it was clear that we weren't going to win the game playing three five two, and um, you're right, you know, we went three five two, we went four four two, then we had the change of personnel, we had Gabbiadini on, and you know we had Redmond and Anusi pushing forward. There was a lot of variety in there, a lot of tactical variety, and I don't think it's the kind of tactical variety that suggests that Hughes doesn't know what he's doing it all of it felt quite deliberate and it all had you know quite an impact on on the game every time he switched things around so I think that's going to be really really positive I think one of my worries would be if we were playing against a side with a little bit more quality than Burnley maybe we would have seen you know we we might have been punished a bit earlier but you know McCarthy kept us in it um you know it it was one of those games I think I predicted a draw at the in in last week's podcast and I think at the end of the season nobody's going to look back and think actually that nil-nil at Burnley is what cost us you know the the season that we should have had um on Sunday so yesterday as as we're recording um we had four new debutants so we had Stuart Armstrong we had Danny Ings we had Mohamed Elanusi and we had Yannick Vestergaard um I mean, what what's your take on how those four players performed? I'll start. Let, let's start from the back. So, start with Vestergaard. What? How did you make of? Uh, what did you make of his performance? Uh, I thought it was a very promising performance, considering Bruno very physical. Well, you know, he's very physical as well. But in the Bundesliga, it's a very different animal to the Premier League. Um, so, I thought he kept very well with, with uh, Chris Wood up there. Um, he threw himself into everything. Um, he was good in another box as well. I saw a long throw, which I've not seen since Roy Delap <laughs> in the first half. Um, but that was, that was quite funny. Um, but I thought he was very commanding. He was very brave. And he did, even though probably distribution is not his best asset, I think he did try and bring the ball into midfield. Um, and he's very composed and assured at the back, which we have been lacking in the last, well, since Van Dijk's gone, really. We've been lacking that sort of composure at the back, uh, which has panicked the whole defence and has led to unnecessary goals. Uh, but I thought, yeah, I thought it was a very good debut by him. I know a lot of the papers and, and various media outlets have given him man of the match for yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally understand why he would be up there for man of the match. It was, it was a very assured performance at the back. Um, he maybe doesn't quite have that level of class that Van Dijk has, but, you know, Van Dijk is now the world's most expensive defender. Um, but, you know, maybe he's going to grow into that grow into that position. He'll get used to the Premier League. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was after he got elbowed, um, he and, and there was nothing given for it. I think he, he suddenly kind of rechecked uh, what he thought. So obviously in the Bundesliga, you can get away with something else. He got elbowed in the head, didn't get anything given again, uh, given for him. So he then led with his elbow into the back. I, th- I, think, I can't remember if it was Chris Wood or someone else, but my God, he absolutely clattered the poor guy, just left him in pieces on the floor. And um, yeah, that, that was quite amusing to see. And it's nice to see that we've got a player who's willing to kind of give it back as as much as uh, you know they're going to get it. Um, and, and it actually reminded me of the conversation I had with uh, Michael Svensson, who, another Scandinavian defender, and he was telling me about once he figured out what he could get away with, he liked giving it out and dishing it out in the Premier League games. Um, another thing I quite enjoyed was um, his his sliding tackle, um, which he did in, in the second half as Burnley were attacking. It seemed almost to happen in slow motion, but he's so long and big. When he got himself in the way of the ball, there was no way that the Burnley attacker was ever going to get it past him. And that, that, that was quite amusing to see. You know. I think some people said, you know, he has a bit of a slow turning circle, but if an oil tanker comes in the way of a tugboat, it's still going to block it, you know, regardless of what speed the tugboat can go. Um, so I suppose uh, the next one is Stuart Armstrong. We mentioned him before, but let's, let's shine the spotlight on him a bit more. What, what do you make of Stuart Armstrong? What sort of player do you think he's going to be for Saints this season? I really like Stuart Armstrong. I think he's going to be one of the bargains of the season, to be honest, at £7 million. Um, what I like about it, as soon as he gets the ball, he's, he heads up, he either drives forward or he looks for the forward pass. Uh, he's also got a goal in him as well. Um, so whilst it was a shame he went off yesterday, um, you know, we did improve when he went off, but I don't think that was anything to do with necessarily his performance. I thought it was very encouraging, his first half performance, and one of the few highlights of the first half. Um but I suppose he's there sort of, a, he's more of a, a more attacking Stephen Davis, I suppose, replacing him. Um, but I'm excited to see what he does for the season because I think he's going to add a few goals and a few assists. Um, and like I said, I think he's going to be a real steal at £7 million. Um, Tom, last week, was banging on about uh, his hair. Um, I mean, what, what did you think of that? I mean, you've got quite a thick, illustrious hairdo yourself, James. I mean, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, you might want to get over onto the YouTube Ugly Inside channel and see James's hair. Um, quite thick and luxurious. I mean, as a man with a thick and luxurious haircut, do you, do you admire someone like Stuart Armstrong or, or do you kind of envy him? I think he's got a more of a wavy look, so it's, it's, it's better than, his hair probably must be better than mine. But uh, yeah, I think it's a bit more envy, actually. Even when he goes down the challenge, it's still in place. Um, so, I mean, haircuts aside, I, I, I thought Stuart Armstrong was the highlight of the first half for four Saints. And I remember saying to the guy behind me in the Northern Men, you know, that, that I thought, you know, he was going to be a bargain. And seven million pounds seems a bit of a snip. I do wonder if, though, if that injury, I mean, as soon as he got the knock and he went down, they immediately got prepared for the substitution. So I don't know if he is carrying an injury that they know about, and that's perhaps why we got him on the kind of bargain basement prices. I mean, I wouldn't sniff at £7 million, but in the Premier League, that that isn't an awful lot these days. Um, So we'll move further up the pitch uh, to Mohamed Elinusi. Um, rock and born Norwegian um, player with a bit of a Swiss uh, experience. He's played in the Champions League, you, you mentioned earlier. Um, when I read about him, you know, 
it seemed like he was the player brought in to replace Tadic. Having watched him, I think he's actually quite a different player from Tadic, but, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a little bit different to Tadic. I think he's a bit more direct and, you know, to actually slow the ball down and then get it in the box. But I think he's a bit more dribbling towards players rather than stopping and crossing. Uh, he's probably the most, before Ings came, that's probably the most exciting signing for me because um, he's young. Um, he's very direct, which he needed. And he's brave on the ball. We don't, you know, a lot of people, I think, last season went missing. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see that from him. Um, I think he's going to want to try and make something happen. Um, creates a lot and I think he's going to add a few goals as well um, and I'd like to see him start ahead of Redmond um, against Everton I mean, I, I quite enjoyed having him and Redmond on the pitch at the same time because I think probably both of those players worry defenders and so if you have them on the pitch at the same time if you have someone who's got decent distribution I'd, I'd perhaps lose one of our central defensive midfielders um, yeah I mean I'm, I'm not entirely sure Mark Hughes will do that you know but I think, you know, perhaps if we're on the front foot, if we've got a team under the cosh, you know, having both Redmond and Elianusi on, who are both willing to run and dribble with the ball, um, I, I think it could be great. I do think we are still perhaps missing. And, um, I mean, you mentioned that Stuart Armstrong, you think, is probably a replacement for Stephen Davis. And I, I think I agree with that. But Tadic, you're right, he, he did sometimes slow the game down, but also he had that ability to unlock defences in those kind of like slow and turgid games. Have we replaced Tadic's ability to do that? Um, it's something that Lalana was great at, and obviously Tadic was brought in to replace Lalana. I thought Elinusi was a replacement for Tadic. Do you think this could be maybe one point of weakness we could have this season? Um, maybe, um, but I don't think we replaced Marnie either. So, um, and that's probably for me more concerning. We've got a lack of pace for the other side. So, if Elinusi can bring a bit more pace. And I prefer that than a Tadic-style player anyway because the Premier League is now all about pace, um, hitting people in a counter-attack, which we've not had the last two years. Um, so if Lucy can bring a bit more pace than Tadic had, then that's probably a better move for me anyway. OK, so then we're moving on to our fourth and final debutant uh, yesterday is Danny Ings. Um, I saw circ- cir- circulating on social media. Um, he's got one of those bricks at St. Mary's and it says Daniel Ings, uh, fan forever. Um, he seemed absolutely delighted to be joining Saints and from Liverpool, which is you know such a fantastic thing. I think it kind of eases some of that pain from all these players that have been so delighted to leave Saints to join Liverpool. Um, you mentioned you're really excited about him, him joining Saints. What is it that gets you so excited about Danny Ings? I think it's, you know, he desire, he wants to play for Saints, which I think a lot of fans have criticised the players over the last couple of years, the desire um, of the team. Um, so you're not going to have to question that. Oh, Dan Ings, I know his desire to play for Saints. You know, he, he's clearly a hometown boy and he loves Saints a bit. So that's not going to be a question for him. But it's more, it's more his movement in the box and his ability to get in behind his movement, which we've lacked. Um, over the last couple of years I mean Gabardini's got great movement as well don't get me wrong but um, I think Ings is probably a little bit more direct than Gabardini and he can run them behind which I don't think Gabardini can do I think he's got the pace to do that um, so um, out of the four I'm probably most excited to see Ings and I was very encouraged by his um, his sort of performance just in the last sort of 35-40 minutes although it was very encouraging and I think he made things happen yeah I would I, th- I thought, to be honest, all four players look 
like you know fairly decent strengthening of the squad um I was quite upset to lose Tadic. I know a lot of fans find him quite frustrating, but I always thought that level of skill w- was always very, very useful in, in the Premier League. Um, but it looks like with Armstrong, Ings, Elenusi and Vestergaard, we've got a really good group of new players coming in. I thought Charlie Austin and Redmond were, were both improved when they came in. So um, it's probably it's probably not a bad thing to have a bit of competition for for places, you know have the players, you know, really got to fight for their position. Um, you mentioned you'd like to see Redmond dropped for the next game and Elianusi brought in. I, I actually thought Redmond, well, he, he got the man of the match from me, which uh, is, is making you kind of like chuckle. Redmond really is a Marmite player. I mean, I put Jekyll and Hyde down, which I, th- I thought about his performance because I thought, you know, first half, he was really quite poor in the second half. I thought he was our best player and, and certainly caused the most trouble. Uh, on the pitch and certainly he seems to be the one that was worrying Burnley the most um, having kind of looked at that what do you think Saints best starting 11 would be if you were in Mark Hughes's shoes having seen a couple of the pre-season games having watched Saints Burnley knowing what some of the players that were dropped from the squad can do what what do you reckon Saints best 11 would be um, I, I don't think I think the three five two does work quite well um, at the moment, where we get our confidence back. So I think he probably should stick to that um, at the moment. But I think in terms of keepers, there's no, there's no question. McCarthy is number one, um, and until he makes a mistake, I don't think that's going to change. Um, I think centre back. I think he's not good. I think I think Hoyt. He's left footed. It's good to play under the back of the left, the left of the back three, and Vestergaard, and. Probably, I do like Jack Stevens because he's good on the ball. Um, and now we've got Vestergaard, we were lacking a little bit of height at the back. So I, I think I'd like to see Stevens there because I'm not Yashida's biggest fan and never will be. Um, West had a good World Cup. He's still got a massive mistake in him every game. Um, the wing back speak for himself is Cedric and Bertrand. Um, on our day, they're our most dangerous outlet, to be honest. Uh, certainly Bertrand, if his mind's in the game. Um, I do like Lim- Limina has to start for me because he, whilst he's inconsistent, he can change the game. He can bring us through midfield. Um, I probably would drop Romeo to be honest and put Hoiberg in there because Hoiberg can also get the ball forward. And his, his, you know, whilst Romeo's got a desire as well, I think Hoiberg um, has got a forward pass in him. I think Romeo looks to pass it backwards or sideways before he looks to go forward. Um, and I'd probably like to see. I'm not sure I'd play two up front. I'd probably play Ings down the middle um, with Armstrong and Elenusi. So, Redmond, goodbye. Charlie Austin, goodbye. Gabbiadini doesn't get a look in. Oriol Romeo, player of the season a couple of years ago, and you've, you've dropped him as well. Yoshida, who had all those, you know, won those hearts and minds in, in the World Cup, and Bednarek, who, who even got a goal in the World Cup and a man of the match performance. None of them getting a look in. James Will Prowse has you know, been that seven for years. I, I mean, for those of you watching on YouTube, we'll be able to see James sat next to me kind of grimacing and shaking his head as I'm talking about um, all of these players. Um, yeah, it, interesting choice. Um, I'd almost forgotten about Hoiberg, but, but you're right. I think actually maybe the weakest point in Mark Hughes' selection was that Lamina-Romeo combination in the, the kind of central defensive midfielders. I'd like to see something a little bit more positive for that. Um, 
And Romeo, whilst I kind of like joking and, and prodding you in terms of saying, you know, he was our player of the season a couple of years ago. But maybe Romeo is the kind of player who you need more when the whole rest of the, the side are kind of swirling around, much more attacking. Um, and, you know, he, he's the person that you have in the middle that allows all of that to happen. Um, but he's, he's not as good as Wanyama. And I don't think he ever will be. And it's, it's a real... It's a real shame. And, you know, I agree that Lamina gives, you know, us some kind of creative outlet as well. But yeah, you're right. I think Hoiberg in there would be interesting. Um, also, I, I still want to see Josh Sims given a chance, but he wasn't even in the first team squad. So, I mean, that doesn't really seem to be happening. I mean, maybe I need to forget my love affair with Josh no, Sims. Um, and I'd love to see, you know, Jake Hesketh as well, perhaps being kind of in and around that first team. And But, you know, I think when you have the signings of, players like Elianusi and, and Armstrong, you know, it, it, it's it's tough, you know. It's hard to see where those potential opportunities are going to be for those players that have been creating a lot of excitement in the under-23s, under-21s and under-19s, where they're going to get their opportunities. But, um, I mean, to be honest, I tend to agree with, with most of what you have in that selection. I think maybe our back threes would be slightly different. I'd probably... Um, I think Bednarek could grow into be a really, really good player. And I'm, I still don't trust Hoot. Um, and I still don't fully trust Stevens as well. They, he has shown glimmers of being that kind of like quite creative um, central defender. So, you know, I, I can see why you might want to stick with him. Um, after Sunday, have your expectations for the season changed at all? And I mean, I don't know what your expectations were before Sunday, but perhaps you can kind of... Give us your thoughts on that. Um, not particularly. I thought we'd be between 14th and 10th. Um, and that's not really changed. Um, I think there's a lot worse teams than us in the Premier League, but I don't think we're going to be top eight. Um, I think if we're anywhere between 14th and 10th, I think it's a good, it's a good season to recover in. And the next season, hopefully we can kick on even more. Um, I think it's more stabilising this season, getting the players bullied in. Um, I think 12th is where we're probably going to be. Um, and after Sunday, that's not really changed my opinion. So you're not anticipating a relegation battle? or I mean, I, I suppose the thing with 10th to 14th is you can kind of be involved in a relegation battle, but it's suggesting that perhaps you've got things sorted out a couple of games before the end of the season. I think if we are going to finish in that bracket, I'd like to see our business get done early. Um, you know, because... It's one thing finishing 14th when you know that you've been safe since Christmas, but, you know, having, you know, finishing 14th and not being safe till about two games from the end of the season can be quite nerve wracking. Um, I suppose I, I agree with you. I think we're going to finish bang in the middle of the table. I, I think I predicted ninth, but that's probably on the optimistic end. I, d I do tend to be quite optimistic. Um, anyway, I think... I think we've done Saints, Saints Burnley probably all the justice we can. I mean, I was hoping that we we're going to get a chance to score about uh, talk about lots of goals, but that, that hasn't happened. Um, so I'm going to get on to our listener correspondence. And um, Nate Dog has uh, taken to YouTube um, to tell us about what he thought about our season preview. Um, one of the things that he really talks about is Buffal. And he doesn't, it, basically, I think, I think Nate Dogg is quite frustrated with the Saints fan base and their opinions on players. So he thinks that Buffal, you know, he's young, he's clearly talented, um, and that the, basically, we should just kind of like deal with that sort of attitude problem. And he mentions, you know, players like 
uh, Roy Keane, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Peter Schmeichel, who have all played for Manchester United and were dealt with by Alex Ferguson. He got the best out of those players. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about Buffal? I mean, his record wasn't that great um, at Saints, but he didn't have a huge amount of opportunities, but perhaps his personality got in the way of him getting more opportunities. I mean, and the other thing Nate Dogg is, is surprised about is why Saints fans are, are so much you know, more kind of endeared towards the likes of Redmond, Davis, and I mean, he goes on a great big rant about James Ward-Prowse. I mean, if you want to read the whole thing, it's, it's proper essay length. Get over to the Ugly Inside uh, YouTube channel. You can, you can read it all. What, what do you make of his comments? Uh, Buffer's a very frustrating player. He's clearly got talent um, and abundance of skill, but it's clear his attitude doesn't match his, his talent. And that goes for a lot of players, not just players at Southampton. That goes for, for worldwide, really. Um, you know, he's had three managers. Yeah, three managers. And every single manager had the same sort of opinion on him. So there must be something fundamentally wrong uh, with that, his attitude. But then if you look at his stats, how many assists and goals has he had? He has played a lot of games, um, you know, granted a lot of off the bench. But what has he actually contributed apart from goal of season last season? What has he actually done? Um, I mean, I really, I think every Saints fan wants him to do well because you could clearly see his skill. You know, you Samson always put these training videos with his great skill, but if you don't do it on a match day, there's, there's not really much point, is there? Um, so it's after his bust up with, with Hughes, which is well publicised, he was never going to come back into the fold in the summer. Um, so whilst it's frustrating, I think we need a, I think team spirit is more important than. Uh, one individual talent um, and just trying to to get him motivated you've got, you know as a manager you've got to look at a score of 25 rather than one player um, you know Burnley show that they haven't got any outstanding individuals but they've got a great team spirit and look where they finished last season so I think you've got to take that consideration as well um, Another thing that uh, Nate Dodd kind of um, mentions is the which, which you mentioned actually earlier, James, is that we still hadn't re- replaced Mane and he was really looking for a new winger to come into the fold. Um, he suggested, you know, Sisto, Promes, Bergwinge, Adama, Traore, who I think um, Wolverhampton Wanderers have picked up for quite a sizable chunk of money as well. Um, I mean, you, you're kind of nodding your head there. You, you still don't think that's something that, w- that we've effectively replaced. And I suppose with Buffal going out, that's another player who can perhaps be you know that pacey talented player I mean is that just a weakness that we have or I mean another thing that Nate Dogg kind of uh, mentions is promoting Hesketh and Sims into the first team squad which I mean I'd quite like to see that happen and perhaps they could answer some of the questions that have been left behind by Mane departing yeah my biggest frustration of the last few transfer winners has been not replacing Mane um I think it's criminal not to have pace in the Premier League side. Um, Redmond is not a replacement for Mane, in my, in my opinion, at all. Um, we need somebody like... Well, Quincy Promise would have been the perfect solution, but which we rumoured to in January. That didn't obviously happen. Um, but if you look through our, our team, where is the pace? Um, in my opinion, that's one of the most important things in the final third, is to have pace um, away from home. We need it on a counter-attack we're very protection at times so yeah I think we haven't we haven't had any pace since Marley's left in my opinion and that's a big mistake from the recruitment team whilst they may have tried to, to address that they haven't um, and I think Josh Sims has got that pace but 
unfortunately we don't seem to be giving the youth players a chance at the moment um, because you know the Premier League if you're out the Premier League we know the financial impacts on that so I think they're worried about that more than introducing players uh, like Hesketh I like Hesketh a lot um, it was a real shame he got injured at that time because I think he was knocking on the front door of the, um, of the first team um, so whether his pathway has been blocked with the new signings I don't know but um, like you I'd like to see, see him as given a chance because he has got a genuine pace yeah, I don't, I, I'm looking at that first-team squad and I think it's going to be very difficult for Sims or Hesketh to break into it, um, unless there's injuries, of course. And uh, if you think about probably our most effective counter-attack in the last kind of two seasons, it would have been that one, Josh Sims and Shane Long against Liverpool, two players that do have pace. And so, you know, perhaps that's why Shane Long hasn't been moved on by Mark Hughes, despite the fact he wasn't in the first-team squad on Sunday. Um, I still think, you know, he can be a useful player at times. Um, anyway, so we're going to move on from Nate Dogg's comments. Thank you for that. There were a few other people that got in contact on YouTube, but um, Nate totally dominated that comment section. I think he had about 900 words uh, in his essay. So um, must try harder, I suppose, for, for those of you that, that also want, want to do that. Um, I'm just going to try and drag up an email um, in a minute, I seem to have kind of managed to knock that one down. Um, but I have got a suggestion here from a chap called Graham Frampton. He's he's written in saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com uh, with some song suggestions. Um, spurred on by your challenge in a recent podcast as to how to rhyme Elianusi, I've come up with the following. And this is to the tune of Oranges and Lemons. Don't worry, I'm not going to try and get you to sing it uh, on the podcast, but... Um, so I'm going to have to try, which is going to be embarrassed. Uh, just wait till you see St. Elionusi. Moy's ball controls, going to get us more goals. What do you make of that, James? Yeah, not that I was going to really take off that one, um, especially after a few beers. I don't think that's really going to um, come off the tongue. Is it? That one, no. Not a fan of that one, I'm afraid. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, that... I don't know, Graham. I, oranges and lemons is a little bit slow paced. So, I mean, that's probably my biggest problem with that. I didn't feel particularly kind of uh, great getting stuck into that. Um, the next one is going to be even more tricky because I don't really know the song that it's supposed to be um, uh, linked with. Do you know the tune of Scotland the Brave? James, James is looking uh, rather confused. I look across to him. Um, so I'm just going to read this out as though it's a poem. And, you know, if you know Scotland the Brave, I apologise. Um, you know, my Scottish grandfather's probably turning in his grave that I'm admitting this, that I don't know this. But, um, oh, Armstrong, he's our man. He's from the Stuart clan. We're all an Armstrong fan. Armstrong's our man. Makes all the lasses stare at his full crop of hair. But men don't care when he nets the ball in there. Armstrong is our man. He's from the Stuart clan. We're all an Armstrong fan. Armstrong's our man. I mean, I suppose probably the biggest positive I can say about this chant is he's managed to get Stuart Armstrong's hair in there, which is probably going to be key um, for for whatever chant we end up with him. Yeah, but I can just imagine uh, other away fans or home fans saying, what the effing hell is that if we start singing that song, to be honest. So um, it's probably better than the last one, but no, that's another no from me, I'm afraid. Graham, I'm really, really sorry about this. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I know you've got one more suggestion here. So, I mean, let's get on to that. James, we'll see if we can convince you with this one. This one's for Charlie Austin. Um, he doesn't suggest what tune this goes to, so I'm just going to have a guess at it. But it's uh, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Austin. Love to school when balls are crossed in. Help repay the fee you're costing. So come on, Charlie Austin, score more goals, goals, goals. I mean, I don't. I'm sure the 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 rhyme I got totally wrong there. I mean, I tried to be a little bit more upbeat with that one. What What do you think, James? Out of the three, I'd say that's my favourite. Um, but I can't see myself singing that on the terraces, I'm afraid either. Um, but out of three, the last one would be my my pick if we had to. <laughs> but I don't think I'll be introducing any of those anytime soon. Sorry. Um, so, I mean, I was, I was sat in the Northern End, which always does like a good chant. And um, I had a couple of uh, fans were trying to sing Danny Ings to the, the tune of Daddy Cool. So, Danny, Danny Ings, Danny, Danny Ings. I mean, I could kind of imagine that when working. And, and it seems a little bit more original than he's one of our own, which is what he got when he came on. Have you got any suggestions for new chants, James? I haven't really thought any, but I think the Dan Ings one is, that you've just suggested, or the Northern was singing, is, is it should be. I think, yeah, like you said, one of our own is a bit boring, isn't it? It's Harry Kane's song, and it's a, you know it's a bit tedious. So um, that Dan Ings one is is more catchy. I think the shorter the better. <laughs> it's, apart from the Lam- Ricky Lambert song was was a good one, but um, I think the Dan Ings one is, is is quite good, and it shouldn't be. He's one of our own. Um, yeah, so Saints fans, listen to this. We're ditching he's one of our own and we're going for Daddy Cool uh, themed Danny Ings. Um, so on to the slightly more kind of a serious stuff. So Jason Dickey, he uh, joined us on the podcast towards the end of last season. Um, he resides over in America, but makes a trip out every now and then. Um, he's actually quite surprised by how the Saints fans have been so focused on whether we could get in a new striker. I mean, obviously we've done that with Danny Ings, but um, Jason Dickey, what I like about his emails, he always kind of like cuts in with a slightly different angle on things. And normally there's a, there's a lot of sense behind it. So he was thinking, you know, Southampton should be looking, you know, much more towards the defensive side of things, you know, know, quoting defenses win championships. Um, And he he actually says he's very excited about the future of Hoot and Bednarek. Um, And he thinks, you know, a little bit more good experience, a little bit more focused um, training, um, a little bit more focus on the mental side of things. He can see both of those players becoming really good defenders. I mean, does he have a point? Yeah, I mean, I think all good sides, you know, first and foremost have a solid defence. But I still think we needed a striker and I don't think that's, um, that's been an issue for a while. So um, goal scoring last season was very poor. The last two seasons actually in the Pule as well was very poor. So I think we did need to bring a different type of striker in um, with a bit more movement. Um, but he is right in terms of defence. That's always, that's where we're very strong under Koeman. Um, also Pochettino as well. I think we built it from the back. Whilst we, we did press um, very well, but our defensive records under Pochettino and Koeman were very, very good. And that's why we saw a great uh, finishes within the league so um, he is right in that and I do agree with Hoyt to be honest because there's a good player in it I think his confidence has really been hit last season um, I saw I watched a lot of CRL games and I, th- I was quite impressed when he was at Lazio and I was quite excited when he signed him um, and like you mentioned John the Palace game he was immense so um, I think there's a very good player in there um, he's obviously played for Holland he's got the attributes to be a very good centre-back so um yeah, building from the back's good, but we, I still think we need a striker. 
Yeah, and, and, and hopefully Danny Ings with his Daddy Cool uh, theme song is going to be the answer for that. Um, we're pushing towards the hour mark now, so I'm going to ditch your suggestion for the fans forum and wait until that's actually happened. I hope that's, that's okay, James. But I do think we should have a short look forward to the Everton game. So Everton away, a fixture that we traditionally never, ever, ever win. Um, those Saints fans that keep on going up to Goodenson Park, you know, fair play. I mean, the stand in there is pretty terrible. You can't really see much of the pitch. I mean, last time I went to Everton was a couple of years ago. It was a Dow 1-0 loss and I could barely see a thing. Um, what What do you think is going to happen? Are we going to finally break that record against Everton? They've got Marco Silva as manager. They've got their £50 million, 21-year-old Brazilian Richarlison who played for Watford last season. Um, obviously, Everton have spent loads and loads of money over the last few seasons, but it didn't work out for them uh, last year. Koeman got sacked and then Allardyce has been moved on. Um, what, what what should we expect next weekend? Um, like you said, I've I've never seen us. I've been to Gibson Park five times. I've never seen us win. Um, last season was probably our closest we've come to winning for a long time. Um, it's a tricky one because... I think it's probably a good time to play Everton purely because they've had a lot of new signings. It's going to take a while for them to gel. Um, so it might be a good time to play Everton because um, I think they've made some good signings. They still haven't replaced Lukaku. Um, I don't think Tosin's anywhere near the level of of Lukaku. Um, but I'm very, very impressed with the players they bought from Barcelona, uh, Fred, Richarlison. Um, hopefully he won't have injured against Wolves. So fingers crossed he's uh, not there for Saturday but um, I'm going to be a bit optimistic I think we're going to get a, hopefully get a draw there um, and that'll bring us in nicely for the Leicester game and if you beat Leicester then that's actually a pretty good start to the season um, but I think it's fortunate we're playing them early on um, with with a lot of new signings um, and Everton fans do get very frustrated if things aren't going their way the first half an hour which I've noticed when I've been there uh, so if we can frustrate them in the first half an hour um, I think um, hopefully we can get a good result there I think Goodison Park, though, generally is going to be a little bit more optimistic. I mean, the Everton fans were so vocal about wanting rid of um, Sam Allardyce. So I think it might take us more than, you know, 30 minutes to kind of get the Everton fans on, on the back of uh, Silver and his team. Um, I, I, I'm going to hope for a draw as well. I mean, I'd love to say that, you know, I mean, we can beat them there. It's not impossible. It's just, you know, a bizarre statistic, I think, because, you know, over many of the seasons that we've been in the Premier League, I think we've been better than Everton. Um, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's, it's an old ground. Um, it's quite close to the players, but that's the kind of thing that old Southampton would have would have relished. Um, I'm not feeling too hopeful, but, you know, and this is the, the, the funny thing, I suppose. You, you looked at those first three fixtures, Burnley, Everton and Leicester and you kind of feel quite optimistic about your first three games but actually they're, they're three tougher teams than perhaps uh, meets the eye um, but it would be really great to have some good revenge on Leicester um, and Claude Puel uh, next season and they were saying on um, another football podcast that I listened to but that I won't advertise on this uh, on this forum um, that apparently Claude Puel has got three games to save his his, his save his uh, managerial career at Leicester which I mean seems totally bizarre you'd have thought if they get rid of him they would get rid of him in the summer but I mean perhaps if Leicester are coming to Southampton with a bit of pressure that could also work in our favour 
Yeah, I heard that too. Uh, I think a lot of Leicester fans are very frustrated that um, he brought Madison off against United on, on Friday and didn't play him up top with Vardy. So, and they're also very frustrated with the football that they play. Um, but, you know, if we could have draw against Everton um, and there's a bit of pressure on Pure for that for the third game of the season and winning against Leicester, it's actually quite a good start to the season. So, um, you know, you've got to be optimistic. So um, hopefully we don't uh, we avoid defeat against Everton and kick on against Leicester. So, I mean, you heard it here. We have James predicting uh, Saints undefeated for the first three games in the Premier League and with five points after that. I mean, we'll be kind of top half of the table, I think, if we have five points after the first three fixtures. Um, I actually wonder, I think we might end up with three draws from those three games. Um, but I, I still don't think that will necessarily be a bad start to the season. I think really the games that we've got to be winning are going to be against the teams, the likes of kind of Brighton, Cardiff, Huddersfield. Um, I'm not being impressed with any of those in the opening game of the season. They're the ones that I thought would be the main ones for, for relegation. And actually, having seen Fulham get you know done by Palace, I think maybe Fulham could actually be another team that we'd be expecting to get points off. So um, I'm not feeling too pessimistic about this season, but I, I think kind of mid-table... Um, Ninth is probably the higher end of of my expectations. I think probably down to about fourteenth or fifteenth would be the lower end. You're nodding your head a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. I think twelfth is probably where we're at. Um, there's a lot of worse teams in the Premier League. Um, I think Newcastle are probably going to struggle this season as well. Um, I think Bournemouth probably will. Um, so, I think twelfth is where we're at. I think with the signs we've made um, and we have consistency with the manager for what for a change as well because um, we've had too many changes in that department for the last few years um, I think that would put us in good stead for the future um, but I think 12th is where we're at with the squad we've got um, and I know if we can kick on for the pre- for next season but there's a lot of worse teams us in the Premier League um, so fingers crossed we're going to make a good start so James I, I don't know if you've got anything you want to add uh, to the podcast before we say our farewells um, our friend Jason who emailed in he had a poem at the end of the podcast I don't know if you've got anything like that <laughs> alright then I think we'll call that a night thank you very much for stepping in um, James and coming and joining us on the sofa uh, for those of you who were expecting Tom Parker he got sent home from work with the flu today so you know midsummer flu after all this sunshine and warmth he can't hack it as soon as we get a little bit of rain um, so big thanks to James join us um i'm sure we're going to have you back on um uh, on a few times this season if you're still up for it and uh, this uh, experience hasn't put you off too much um so thank you very much uh, for those of you that want to get in contact with the podcast uh on twitter it's at, at saints fc podcast um and the email it's saints fc podcast at gmail.com and uh i also post the episodes in reddit the saints web forum And of course, you can leave a comment on the Ugly Inside channel on YouTube. Um, So thank you very much for listening once again. um, I've been John Bailey and uh, thank you to James. Thank you very much. Cheerio. (laughs) 